Well, this morning we saw that Peter was writing to a group of believers whose lot in this world was not one that you would have enjoyed experiencing. Uh, And it wasn't showing any signs of improving. Peter was very explicit with them that he was expecting, and they should expect, and they shouldn't be surprised at the fiery trials which would come upon them. They are pilgrims, they're homeless, they are suffering, and they are told to expect this as the normal course. And so, therefore, it's interesting that he concludes with this almost exhortation. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. It's as if Peter is saying, how are you, how are you going to survive all of this? How are you going to keep going when everything falls apart in your life? When all of these ordeals and these trials, fiery trials, he says, come upon you. You do it by being humbled under God's hand, being submissive then to his providence, bowing to his inscrutable wisdom, accepting whatever he ordains, and then casting your care upon him, knowing that he cares for you. We see then that the humble doesn't just know, that the humble doesn't just submit. The humble does certain things whilst they submit. And the, the humble has certain convictions whilst they submit. They do certain things. They cast their care upon the Lord. They know certain things that they will be exalted in due time. And they have comfort as they do so, for he cares for you. So that's what we're going to be looking at this evening. Firstly, the humble's conviction. The humble's conviction. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. What's the conviction? That he may exalt you in due time. The humble, the the Lord's people, the meek, who are called to experience whatever trials the Lord sees are necessary to bring into their life, has a conviction, as they do so, that exaltation will come. That they will not forever abide in this state of trial and affliction. Now the word translated here, due time, is a Greek word called kairos, which normally speaks of seasons, at the appropriate season. At the appropriate moment. Now I did some some investigation as to how this word is translated in the New Testament epistles. And it speaks of really two fundamental things. I'm not... Well, I think I will will tell you what I think is the most likely explanation. But I think it's perfectly acceptable to say that Peter has both things in mind. The first meaning speaks of an appropriate season in other words saying this trial will only be for as long as is necessary the lord has allotted a season of discipline and trial for you to go through but as once that trial once that experience has accomplished the good that god is doing and intending to do at the appropriate moment he will exalt you if you humble yourselves the lord will exalt you he opposes the proud and the more we rail against god's discipline the Puritans talked about this, the longer it goes on. <laughs> because, because he opposes the proud. He's saying, you, you still have not listened. You still not accepted what I'm doing. You're fighting against me. And so he has to then tighten the noose and, and make the affliction harder. But if you're humble, God looks down and sees that a child who's learning and who's trusting and who's believing and who's growing. And when the father sees this, the father says, enough. Enough. You, you've, 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 
you've got it. You've, you've learnt what I'm trying to teach you in this time. And so here's a promise that, and it's always important to remember this, never doubt in the dark what you believe so clearly in the light. If you're in trial, you find yourselves in trial this year, know, know that light dawns for the righteous in darkness. Psalm 112 verse 4, Unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. Who among you are fathers here? Or, or you know, you've had children. If you're a loving and good father, you hate disciplining your child, don't you? I mean, I, some, some parents, if you, had, if you had parents who were strict with you, maybe it's easier because you've known what it is. But, but for, if you've not had strict parenting, it's, it's, it's not natural to you. It's very, very hard to be firm with your child because even if you feel you must, you hate seeing them hurt. Don't you? It's hot. It's pitiful to watch a child struggling, your own child, even if they deserve it. Our God is gracious, full of compassion, and he is righteous. And so he will not make you suffer needlessly. He will not put you into the furnace unless it is necessary. And the moment that his purposes are not being achieved anymore by you being in that furnace, he will deliver you out. Psalm 30 verse 5, his anger endureth but for a moment. In his favour is life. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. I was only reading this week of a, a brother in the Lord who was diagnosed with terminal cancer only a few years back. Still alive, but he's dying. And that text I read to you, unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness, was given to him by a believer when he was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And then the brother just said, there is light, there is, there is, light, there is blessing for you in this experience that you couldn't know unless you were in it. And he said, no one can understand what a comfort that was. To know that there was going to be some intervention of God. There's going to be light in this darkness. That's a promise. God is going to deal with me. God is going to be good to me. And there's going to be a light that's going to break through at some point in this darkness. And he was able to say fairly recently that he can say that in some of the dealings he's had with his children in the sickbed, some of the conversations he's had with his wife, he, he's been able to say that there have been sweet times of God's goodness um, in these afflictions. As it says in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tested beyond what you are able, but with the testing will also make a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, of course, for some of the Lord's saints, because people say, well, what about, if that's true, Pastor, if, if it's true that the Lord always causes light to break in or he delivers us from our trial, what about all the Christians and the martyrs? What about the Christians that went to the stake? That was their deliverance from the trial. That's how we have to think, you see. The, the, the worst thing that men can do is actually the, the setting free of the afflicted saint. Because they were convinced that they were going to be with their father. And so though there may be many things we fear happening this year, we know that though the Lord were a lot to us, our specific portion of trial, he will mix it in with it, enduring grace. 
That's the first meaning of this word um, in due time, an appropriate season of God breaking in. That when the time is right and the time is in season for God to visit you in your darkness. But the, mo- the way this word is used most often, the second meaning of this word, it speaks of the last day. Some examples I think are necessary here. Um, don't need to turn to them, just listen for time's sake. Matthew 8 verse 29. Suddenly they cried out, this is the demons, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come to torment us before the time? It's the same word, kairos, in season. Well, Jesus says, take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. The only way to be ready for the Lord's coming is to always be ready. Be always watchful, be always living conscious that that day could come at any moment. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time, the due season, the appropriate moment, until the Lord comes. He will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. So actually what, and I think when you take in the broader context of the book, which speaks of a people who's, they've not got a retirement plan. The life is probably not going to get any better for them. Peter is calling them for an eternal perspective. He's calling on them to remember that however long and however enduring these things can feel, know that your exaltation is coming. Know that your deliverance is coming. And when you have been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, with no less days to sing God's praise than when you first begun, those little puny 20, 30, 40 years of suffering will be forgotten. There will be no tears. There will be no pain. Some of you have excruciating pain in your bodies. When you have been there 10 million years, you won't remember the pain of 10, 15, 20 years. He is calling them to think about that day of exhortation for the Lord's people. And this really is, I think, perhaps what separates the early church and healthy times for the church in church history, perhaps to our day. We are so focused, I am so focused on the here and the now and my situation now and my circumstances now. But these believers were constantly having that great day in mind, that that second coming of the Lord. Here is that word again, 1 Thessalonians 5, but concerning the times, there it is, the seasons, kairos, concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you, for you know that perfectly the day of the Lord, here he's speaking again about the second coming, comes as a thief in the night, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them. What a comfort that must have been to those Peter was writing to. Because these are people that are suffering terrible atrocities at the hands of ungodly and unrighteous and wicked men. But they are being told, remember the exaltation. Humble yourselves out under the hand of God. Sit it out. Trust God. A day is coming when you would not want to be in their shoes and they at that moment would want to be in your shoes. Do not feel self-pity. You're not on the wrong team. You're on the Lord's team. And, and when he comes in that day to be marveled at in his saints... Oh, how you will be, praise God, that you suffered for his name. And then he goes on, Paul. He says, let us who are of the day be sober, 
putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. How often do we think about the Lord's coming and the exaltation that that means? For God's people, what does Paul say? Our, um, our moment, our light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And those who have most affliction, the weight of glory will, be, will feel greater. Because the contrast will be greater. The deeper you go in affliction the more ecstatic you're going to be at the glory which is to be revealed in Christ Jesus. So he's calling them to have an eternal perspective. We need to go into this year, dear friends, in 2023 and think we're another day, another week, another month closer to seeing the Lord. We are pilgrims here. And if need be, we will suffer trials, but it will not always be the case. We've got to be detoxed of this desire for our best life now. We, here we have no abiding city, but we seek the one which is to come. Do you have unrealistic expectations then for this year? So that's the expectation of the humble. But secondly, see the humble's action. The humble does something. You see, though it's, you could say it's passive, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and it literally means be humble. It's, it's something that you allow to be done to you by God. They are, the, the humble will do something as they are humbled, and it is this, casting all your care upon him. This is so important. Uh, we don't just go into the new year with a, with a sort of fatalistic mindset. Oh, it's going to be hard. I've, uh, we're British, aren't we? We just, just carry on. Got your mug. Just keep calm and carry on. We're not to be stoic about this, you know. No, we cast our cares on the Lord. And, and, and this is, there is a vital correspondence here between being humbled under the Lord and casting your care on the Lord. If you're reading an NIV, it's, it, 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 it's not wrong. It's just it, it, verse 7 starts as a new sentence. But actually, he's explaining how you humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. You do so by casting your care upon him. It's a very good translation. See, the danger with what I said this morning is, if you didn't hear part, if you're not here hearing part two, is that you go, well, yes, you know, I've got to accept whatever God brings. It's right. And I've got to be resigned to it. But I've just got to deal with it. And uh, you become one of these people, well, you know, just got to soak it up, just got to press on, Jesus is coming soon. Yeah, yeah, when, when life gives you lemons, just, just make lemonade, sort of a, 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 you can do it, you can do it type mentality. And if you go to, I remember hearing um, Conrad in Bayway talking about the health and wealth preachers, and he said, he summarised their messages as, you can do it, 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 come on, we can all do it. And that is not what Peter is saying for us to do. 
He's saying, humble yourself under God's hand, accept whatever he brings, but as you do so, realise you can do diddly squat. You can do absolutely nothing under those pressures, and therefore you have only one thing to do. If you're really humbled, you'll realise the most suitable thing to do is cast your cares on God. God isn't glorified by us gritting our teeth to persevere. This is not about us just grinning and bearing it. This is not what God wants. I mentioned this morning that worry, and I'm, I'm not speaking about extreme situations that, that require additional care. I'm speaking about your worry that arises from distrust. Worry is actually an evidence of pride because it assumes that we can do something. And it actually assumes God's not interested, doesn't it? When I worry, I'm basically saying, God's not interested, and I've got to think how somehow we can sort this out. One commentator put it like this, worry is a form of pride because when believers are filled with anxiety, they are convinced they've got to solve all the problems in their own strength and wisdom. The God they trust in is themselves. But when believers throw their worries on God, they express their trust in his mighty hand, acknowledging that he is Lord and sovereign over all life. When I worry, I say God doesn't care, isn't able to help, and doesn't want to help. But humility here actually says more than just that God is sovereign in doing all things. A humility actually says that God is more able and more willing and more loving than I can even imagine. He is more willing to help me than I am to help myself. Casting your cares on God is effectively saying God is in control of my life. Now, casting your cares on one level is easy, difficult because of our sinful pride. We want to keep the burden on our shoulders. But actually, casting your care, this verb is actually something very easy. The idea here is literally, you ever seen the bin men? By the way, the bin men in Eastbourne are unbelievable. Don't ever, if I hear any of you complain about the bin men in Eastbourne, you're going to get a lecture from me because you've not been in London. They even come down our path when I have to forget to put the bins out and t- empty my bin. Maybe it's just my road. Brilliant. But if you watch them, I was, I, I was watching, I went to chase because I, I, I left a bag in the house. I chased them down. And he just, and I said, oh, what do you want me to do with it? Just, just throw it in. So I had a good, you know, really good throw. If you watch bin men, it's the easiest thing. I just lob them in the van. That's the image here. You've got these cares and you just, lo- you just, you just throw them. You just get rid of them. You just get shot of them. You don't, you don't think about, how am I going to do this? Um, you, you literally say, I can't bear it. And you, you, you throw it on the Lord. I once heard of a woman who whenever she had a care beyond her control, she wrote down the problem and she put it in her Bible and shut the Bible as a symbolic way of saying, it's your problem now. Now, I don't, that that wouldn't help me. All of us do different things. Some people like to write their prayers, some people like to say them. Um, But what a tremendous picture that is. That, That is what it is to cast your cares is to say, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. And it's moment by moment, day by day, as, as, as issues arise, you literally make them God's problem. And, you, you, and, and this is, takes bold faith to do this, but you actually say, your names, your glory is at stake now because I have committed this to you. You tell me to do that, Lord. You tell me to cast your cares upon you. You tell me to cast my burdens upon you. So I'm doing exactly what you've told me to now. You've got to, you've got to help me. You've got to come through. And he will either bring deliverance or give sustaining grace. You make God responsible. Because here's a problem. When we are carrying our burdens, 
We can't do the Lord's work. It's true, isn't it? An anxious minister can't serve effectively. An anxious Christian can't do God's will. Because we can't carry both burdens. Spurgeon illustrates it like this. What would you say to a workman who's a porter who comes to carry your goods and you see him coming to you to pick up your load but he's already got a load of loads and bags on his shoulders that have already taken up his strength and he picks up your load and begins to struggle and he, um, you say to him, my good man, what are you doing there? Oh sir, I'm just loaded with my household stuff. Spurgeon goes on, I think you would say to this man, well, but whilst you carry your load, you're not able to carry the load you're being paid to carry. I do not employ you to carry your own load and also to carry my load. I employ you to carry my load. But sir, he says, I'm so weak. I cannot carry both. Then leave yours alone, sir, and carry mine. That is exactly what the Lord says to us, isn't it? Come you who are weary and burdened and laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. So he says, let's do a swap. I give you my load, which is my work, my will, my presence, my strength, my grace, my vision. You give me all your problems. Let me take those so you can go on and do those. That's a, that should be on New Year's resolution. Because I think it's the one thing we all struggle with. So make God responsible to deal with your problems. I give this situation to you. To you. Either change the situation or give me grace to go through the situation. Some of us have worries about this year, financial, to do with the church perhaps. And the guarantee is that some of these things that come into our lives that worry us, they will be above and beyond our strength. And Paul says we were pressed beyond measure. If they weren't beyond your strength, you wouldn't need to cast your burdens on the Lord, would you? You wouldn't need to cast all your cares upon him. So what that means is if the Lord wants us to experientially prove this text, this year he's going to bring us situations and trials in order that we would learn to cast our cares upon him. Think about Abraham on Mount Moriah. Go and sacrifice your only begotten son, Isaac, whom you love. Well, I think he did all of these things without having this text in his, in, his, in his scripture canon. He humbled himself under the mighty hand of the Lord. He didn't argue with God. He accepted what God said. But I can assure you there must have been much silent prayer going on in Abraham's heart. And we know from the New Testament that he had faith in God that the Lord would be would provide or would even raise up Isaac from the dead. And his son said to him, Dad, where are we going to get the offering, the wood for the offering? And, the, and he said, what did he say? The Lord, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. What you have there is Abraham making God responsible for the situation. He's saying, I don't have the solution to this, son, but the Lord does. Now notice 
how all-inclusive this is. Not some of your cares, all your cares. Not just the big things, not just the spiritual things, all your cares. Is it sin or temptation? Whatever your care is, you give it to him. Even the cares you're ashamed to admit that are troubling you. Or even the cares that you feel so silly for having. You're invited to cast all your cares upon him. So that's what the humble does. Thirdly and lastly, you see with me the humble's comfort. You're only going to cast your cares upon someone that you believe you have a right to cast your cares upon. And here is the incentive to cast your cares upon the Lord. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Why should we cast our cares on him? He cares for you. You can make your needs his concern because he is concerned. There's a sense in which we are all called to bear one another's burdens, yeah? Right? There's a sense in which we are all called to care for one another. But suppose one of you, the interest rates are going up on your mortgage and you can't pay your mortgage. And you come to me and say, you, you know, you're meant to care for me. You're meant to bear my burdens. I need you to pay my mortgage off. I, I, I I'll look you in the eye and say, I love you and I care for you. But I can't bear that responsibility. I've got my own mortgage to pay. Yeah? We, we can care for one another and, and share one another's burdens to an extent. But there are certain things that fundamentally we are not responsible for. In that situation, every man is responsible for his own household first and foremost. But, but, but with the Lord, he is responsible for everything in our lives. Everything. He's our father. He has obligations to us. As a verse in this book, 1 Peter 2.25, which tells us that we who are once straying sheep have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Now, overseer, that's the same word to describe elders. An overseer, someone who is responsible to oversee something, to see that what God wants done is done, to see that needs are met, to see that everything is happening in God's household as it should. And we are told here that the Lord Jesus Christ is the shepherd and overseer of our soul. Isn't that a tremendous thought? Christ, the Son of God, the King of Kings at the Father's right hand, the, the ruler of the universe, he is responsible for you. He is obligated to you. He is your overseer. He is overseeing your life and managing your life and is actively involved in your life. He cares for you. You are his deep concern. Sometimes it's helpful to read the, the Phillips translation. It says, humble yourselves under God's strong hand and in his own good time he will lift you up. And I love the way it translates this last clause in verse 7. You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him for you are his personal concern. Now that's a paraphrase, of course, but they have captured the sense here. He's not just saying what they recognise. It's not just we are his concern as a mass. You are personally his concern this year. Now, if you have children, you know you, it's very hard to have your eye upon all your children. But the Lord is personally concerned for each of us equally. Jesus prayed in John 17 that the love with which you, the Father, loved me may be in them. 
the love and care and provision of the Father for his Son, Jesus prays that it would be shown to his, his people. There is no one here, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, if you're trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, there is no one here God will not care for. There is no one here who will cast burdens on the Lord and fail to be cared for. What if you are a sinner? Christ died to save sinners. What if you are undeserving? In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. What if you are backsliding and rebellious and in the depths? Jonah in the depths, in the belly of the fish, called on God and the Lord heard him. Or Manasseh, Manasseh. Could God even care for that wicked and evil Manasseh who slaughtered prophets and persecuted God's people? When he was in the height of his wickedness, he experienced the mercy of God when he called upon him. There is mercy in God big enough and wide enough to care and to cover the greatest sinner. Think of the disciples in the storm. They're in the boat. And they said to the Lord Jesus, Do you not care? <laughs> what a piercing question that must have been to the Saviour's heart. And I'll tell you what, if I was a Saviour, I know what my response would have been. I thought about this. What would I have said if I was in Jesus' shoes? Obviously then I would have failed in the plan of redemption because I would then would have become a sinner. But I, I would have been like, excuse me? I've left heaven's glory to come into this world, to obey the law, and to go to the cross and endure baptism for you. And you would dare... I, I'm not here having a good time, folk. I'm here because I care. I'm here in this boat with you because I am coming to die for you. And yet even such a question from such a place of unbelief, the Lord still cared for them, didn't he? And that just broke me when I thought about that because as I think about that, I think to myself, that's so true, isn't it? That, 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 haven't you proven that? I, I, I've proven that so many times that even when my groans and my cries have come from unbelief, he still cares. He still answers prayer, doesn't he? Hasn't that just been our testimony as Christians? He calmed the storm. He said, peace be still. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. You shall never permit the righteous to be moved. I'm going to close with the very famous, you've probably heard it so many times in pulpits like this one, the robin and the sparrow. You heard of the robin and the sparrow? Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. We have a heavenly father who cares for us. And not even the son of God's groans in Gethsemane, begging his father to be spared the horror show of the cross, could empty the father of his loving concern and care for our souls. He actually returned to his son and said, I care for them too much 
to spare you this ordeal. And if you care for them as much as I, you must do this. And the son says to the father, so be it. And the father sends him an angel to strengthen him, just so his body can even make it to that wooden cross to endure the wrath of God for our souls. God cares for us. God cares for sinners. At the cross of the Calvary, you have the care of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father cares for us because he did not withhold his Son, but gave him up for us all. The Son cares for us because he loved us and gave himself for us. The Spirit cares for us because the Spirit sustained him body and soul to endure eternal miseries in his soul for all who call upon him in for mercy and forgiveness. Trying God, one God, three persons who cares for us. And we, through Jesus Christ, have come in to fellowship with this God. That's what Peter, John says in 1 John. And that should make our joy complete. We're not alone. We are deeply cared for. And so if the Father cares for us, if the Lord cares for us, we can go into this year knowing his care will outweigh every problem. The Lord will not abandon those who call upon him. The Lord will hear us in the day of trouble. Let us trust him. Let us pray for grace to believe in him. Let us know these comforts then. Father, we thank you for your word. These realities are only possible by the spirit of grace. We pray for humble submission. We pray for humble acting, humble conviction, humble comfort. Oh Lord, we pray that all that Peter exhorts them to here, to, to do, to believe and to know, would be proven in our experience this year. Would we be able to say at the end of the year, would we be able to write next to this text, proven? Would we be able to learn the art of giving you our troubles as a church, as officers, as families, as individuals? Oh Lord, you know all the burdens in this room, but I thank you that your shoulders are more than able to bear them all. Lord, teach us the futility of trying to do what you're willing to do for us. Oh God, give us the grace to learn this this year. Amen.